G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Every day on one website alone, as many as 115 million people watch pornography. I've got a little note for parents with the conversation that's coming ahead today. Our conversation could be one that you might like to shield little ears from and just mindful Uh, that there are often uh, parents with small children around and uh, I'm not sure where our conversation will go today. And as you know, on 2020, we're not prudish about talking about all sorts of issues, but some of those, a little bit of discretion from parents if you have young ones around. And so we're going to be talking about the issue of porn today. 115 million, well, that's a number more than the populations of Australia, Canada, Poland and the Netherlands combined. And research might show us that four out of five young men and one in five young women watch porn weekly or even daily. Globally, porn is an estimated $100 billion industry. But why should we be concerned about pornography? Are there serious effects of pornography on our ability to form healthy relationships? What happens to sex when porn depicts people as objects and portrays sex as purely recreational? What about connections between pornography and violence? Does porn decrease people's ability to actually have sex because it causes erectile dysfunction? And what about the effects on the human brain? Well, there is a new campaign that's underway that's calling Australians to form a porn-free movement. The encouragement is for Australians to choose porn-free over free porn. Paul Ninnis is the co-founder and managing director of the organisation called Real Talk Australia, and he is spearheading this new campaign. Paul, a special welcome along to 2020. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, Paul, while the COVID-19 pandemic has been on, the statistics might show us that there's been a spike in the rise of pornography while the pandemic's been on, obviously because of lockdown or people are working from home. Uh, What is the reasoning behind your timing here uh, for launching this campaign, given that there is the spike in porn use? Yeah, totally. Well, look, the timing, uh, I don't believe, was my timing. I think it came from above, and and, uh, I'd had conversations with a mate of mine about this concept of porn-free and using this brand to try to get the the concept out and and try to encourage people to be free of porn. And then I was actually on a Zoom call, as many of us have been during this particular uh, lockdown period, and I was with uh, a bunch of Christian men, Christian leaders from throughout Australia, and there was five minutes to go on the Zoom call, and we're talking about the issues that are that have been um, on the increase during COVID, and I know that porn use is up about thirty percent, and things like that. And and I just sort of took myself off mute, and I said, guys, can I just raise this issue quickly? And uh, 
almost instantaneously a bunch of guys took themselves off mute and started to fire questions at me like, what can we do? What can we say? How do we address this with our communities and our congregations? And um, I sort of said, well, we've only got five minutes. Let me come back to you. And then I uh, spent some time discerning and then rang up my mate who I'd had conversations with and I said, I think now's the time. And that's how the porn-free movement began. Well, honour to you here, Paul, because oftentimes on a difficult issue as this is, there's a need for leadership and uh, you're clearly showing some leadership here because uh, we might all ask the question, who decides there should be a movement against porn? Well, uh, I think it's someone who puts their hand up and says, I think I want to get involved in this. I think I want to be able to use my skills, mm-hmm. my education, my understand, uh, my understanding, and I want to be able to make the sorts of points that will help people understand. So honour to you for mm-hmm. that because uh, there's not as many around who are willing to stand up and say, let's be part of a movement like that. Yeah, look, thank you. I, I find myself in a blessed position to have spent a lot of time in front of audiences over the last decade and, and we're probably the biggest sex educator within Australia that I'm aware of and that's taught us a lot of things but one of the things about this movement was we wanted to enable people to be able to make a stand and so that's one of the key um, things that the Horn Free Movement is on about is being able to enable other people to do something if they so wish in their lives but also in their own you know, circle of influence. Uh, let us in on a few of the details about Real Talk Australia. I know that lots of listeners will be interested. And uh, when you say, as far as you know, uh, Real Talk, the biggest sex educator in Australia, and that's when you're dealing with schools, uh, give us a little insight into the sort of work that you are typically doing. I know there's been a change when uh, the pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 mm. pandemic's been an issue, but uh, but your ordinary day-to-day everyday sort of workload is often around these issues. Give us some insight here into how widespread you're uh, discussing these issues. Yeah, totally. Well, look, we have worked in pretty much every major city within Australia and New Zealand, and we do that every year. Uh, We have a team of about 12 presenters who go around mainly to independent schools, so Christian and Catholic schools, running retreat days and giving talks on a variety of topics from late primary school up to the end of high school. Um, we were affected by the, the, the shutdown of our nation like everyone else. So that's really hurt us both financially and practically in reaching people. Um, but this week we, was our first week back on the road. So we had a team in the Moree, Armidale sort of region this week. Um, so four people doing parents' nights and school retreats and seminars. And we've also launched something called Real Talk Education, which is an online portal so teachers can actually get um, great content on things like puberty, on uh, body image, on other sexuality topics from a, from a biblical perspective and, and, and a uh, um, science-based perspective. And so we launched Real Talk Education as well, which is a, a bit of a response to use our time wisely during this lockdown period. So what I'm hearing is you're describing the sort of work that you do on a day-to-day basis is you've got a really great handle on how young people are changing on their access to pornographic images via their mobile phone and the sorts mm. of uh, the sorts of um, uh, attitudes that are changing perhaps from generation to this current generation. Uh, uh, what are your totally thoughts here look. on young people and how they're uh, reacting to or and it's not their it's not their own fault if there are some wrong things here. But mm. how are young people changing? Yeah, look, two thoughts popping in my mind straight away. The first one was I was talking to an educator in charge of a group of schools um, down in the southern part of Australia um, just last week. And she said to me, 
for grade four and five teachers, the number one question she gets, and she, she's the person responsible for sexuality formation, um, the number one question she gets is, we need resources on talking to our kids about pornography and unwanted, uh, you know, um, un- unwanted exposure to, to, you know, unacceptable images or inappropriate images. So that's year four, five teachers that are coming to her asking for advice. And, and look, the other thought I have is that 10 years ago, I used to pose a question to young males in high school, and it was, do you think porn is affecting your behaviours with girls? And the response we got, and we do it um, nearly every time we were with the, the male groups in, in later high school, the response we got back then was about 50-50. Now it's about 95% of males self-identify that their behaviours are changing because of you know, their exposure to porn. So it's pretty devastating stuff. Okay. And when we're wanting to deal with the issue of pornography, and let's not pretend that's not that everybody's not affected here because we're talking about age groups left, right and centre. It uh, doesn't matter whether you're a child, a teenager or a young adult or an older adult, uh, people are affected by pornography. But uh, I guess getting the focus onto uh, children, teenagers especially, gives us an idea about how we might deal with the understanding because to deal with the problem, first of all, you have to understand it. And I wonder whether you've got any perceptions about the general community understanding of the harms of pornography, uh, you know, in contrast to, to just the idea of, oh, I just do this because I think it's a bit of fun. Yeah, totally. And, and I talked before about the, the sort of key missions of the porn-free movement. One of them is to enable people to make a social stand, but the first one is to increase awareness, increase awareness of both porn consumption, but also how porn works and how it affects people. And and you're totally right. I think once people start to do a little bit of reading or watch a few videos on the human brain, on the pleasure center of the human brain, on neuroplasticity, on the effects of perceptions of young people, then I think it's um, very easy to win people over, even if they're not against porn as a concept, but it's very easy to win people over um, with the argument that kids deserve to be free of this and deserve the opportunity to grow up without the influence of porn because it's devastating to their makeup and devastating to their futures. Hey, Paul, I'm asking listeners today to respond to a question on our Facebook page. And uh, it could also be the question that listeners might respond to as we open our talkback line, uh, because I do like to the idea of uh, engaging with listeners and hearing listener comments. And uh, so let's open our talkback line on one 316 if you'd like to join in our conversation today. But the question I've got on our Facebook page today is, who is responsible for our protection against the harms of pornography? Uh, is it government or parents? Now, those are the two choices, and uh, and listeners might like to enlarge on that because, yes, there might be more than one answer here. But uh, generally, what are your thoughts for that sort of question and asking the question about who's responsible, Paul? Look, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the responses of, of the callers and, and what the Facebook poll comes up with. Um, I'm not sure if you want me to give away my answer to skew the results, but I'm well, happy to. Maybe we, like. maybe we can hold on to it, but I'll give you the early the early poll results as they are standing mm. at the moment, and listeners might like to make a contribution there. Uh, at the mm. moment, 15% are saying government, 85% are saying parents. Uh, so uh, let's let's hold off some more discussion on that perhaps uh, a little while. We're going to take a brief break and then we're going to come back and continue our conversation. Uh, we are talking about the porn-free movement and I do want to give the website address a number of times through our conversation today, pornfreemovement.com. 
and uh, you might like to uh, have some more understanding about that. You might even want to become an advocate for that, uh, whether you are formally connected or whether it's just something for your own understanding. Pornfreemovement.com is the website. We'll talk about that some more. Paul Ninnis is our guest. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. There's new encouragement for Australians to choose porn-free over free porn. Paul Ninnis is the co-founder and managing director at Real Talk Australia. He's spearheading this new campaign and uh, it has only just been launched. That is the case, isn't it, Paul? Just launched? Yeah, two weeks ago we went public. Okay, and uh, I just want to pick up on this play on words for a few moments because a lot of people will be familiar with the idea of free porn. Uh, And uh, you've picked up on, why don't we just uh, turn that on its head and call this Mm -hmm. porn free? Uh, That's a a pretty amazing and profound, simple but profound way of just turning it around and saying, hey, there's a different way you can look at this. Mm. Yeah, totally. And first I just want to honour my mate Joe who sent me a logo one day after we'd encountered each other at a uh, men's weekend. And he sent me this branding, Porn Free, and this was uh, more than six months ago now. And uh, that's where the initial idea came from. And and then we reconnected during the pandemic to to sort of launch this. Um, Yeah, basically, with COVID-19, pornographers were sent into a spin. They had an opportunity to take advantage of people's downtime. And we know through the research on this and through the, the data that's released that Um, When people have downtime is when they gravitate towards pornography. So Sundays is one of the biggest traffic days. Um, You know, traffic slows down during major events like, uh, you know, the Super Bowl or the Grand Final and things like that. And so during the isolation period, people were naturally, um, I suppose, seeking pornography and then they started to give it away for free. So porn that's normally paid for through websites such as um, Pornhub and what have you, they offered premium services for free. And this is particularly dangerous because one of the safeguards for minors is that sometimes they need credit cards to actually access some of the more graphic material or the more fuller material. So, um, yeah, we basically decided that we need to campaign for porn-free rather than free porn because, uh, let's face it, when people are isolated, they don't need pornography, they need connection. And and when people are vulnerable, they don't need pornography, they need protection. And and when people are lonely, they should be called forth out of themselves into real relationships. And, And so... I think um, this idea that porn is the antidote to someone's loneliness, to someone's isolation, needs to be really challenged in the public sphere. I suspect we're headed for some more tough times around the issue too, because as you say, downtime uh, around uh, what we've had as the lockdown and what is ahead of us, recession, even sometimes uh, people talking about a potential depression, uh, leading to the idea of an emotional depression as well. And the question of who we turn to when we've got tough times and time on our hands and the availability of pornography, it seems to be that that's one of the avenues uh, that seems to be picked up by people who are doing it tough and uh, in some ways looking for some sort of consolation in it. Uh, What are your thoughts around the reasons why people might be accessing uh, pornography in this significant way because of uh, going through tough times? Yeah, look, I totally agree, um, Neil, and and I think... um Anyone that's in a depressive state or a vulnerable state or an anxious state or a stressed state, 
uh, find themselves more vulnerable to go into habits that are harmful. And again, uh, porn doesn't discriminate. So this is not about, you know, dirty old men uh, in, you know, dodgy suburbs. This is about children. This is about women. This is about Christians. Um, we're all vulnerable and the internet has made this particular drug and it works like a drug on the human brain. The internet has made this particular drug really, really accessible and um, pseudo-anonymous. So people think they're doing it in isolation and no one will know. And so you don't have to go to the bottle shop to buy your, your carton of beer or to the drug dealer on the corner. You can pull out your phone and access something that allows you to numb out. And so I have real sympathy and I encourage the listeners to have a real heart of, of sympathy and um, understanding for those that go down this path because it's, um, it's not easy and it's, it's quite often not their fault. It's out of a, a place of um, empathy and woundedness and often a history that goes back to their childhood. Okay, and ignorance here is an enemy because, as you say, if you learn to understand what's happening and why it is happening and how it affects you individually, uh, then you can actually have some level of objective decision to try and uh, avoid or uh, clean up or move away from or protect your own family in a deeper way. Let's come back to some of these harms that pornography brings, and and these are well-researched. There's lots of research yep. on these sorts of things yep. uh, let's talk about children and uh, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, and I think you've even made reference to children as young as 10 uh, the sorts of things that change in their behaviour when they've had access to pornography mm-hmm. uh, let's talk through mm-hmm. some of those harms what are your thoughts about the harmful effects here yeah totally and look there's, there's no age limit to how young porn can um, attack someone and, and sometimes it is a predatory thing so pornographers deliberately targeting children with, with search terms and things like that online so any child that has internet access is vulnerable um, but yeah certainly kids you know I've, I've got a friend who rang me only a month or two ago before we launched this and, and he he said, it's happened, Paul. My 10-year-old boy has looked at porn and uh, it started to affect his sleep. He gets up in the middle of the night and steals his mum and dad's phone. Um, it was reported to them via the school. So relationships at school started to become strained and, and things that were being said were, were uh, impacted by what he'd seen. And, um, and now it's uh, in his system, so to speak. And that, so that becomes a really difficult, dangerous thing. Uh, so his sleep's affected, his schooling's affected, his behaviour's affected. And, and, and now, um, you know, we, we pray that, that this can be undone in his life, and I believe it can be, but his future may be affected, his future intimacy and things like that. So um, it's, uh, it's a huge thing. And as you said, there's plenty of research on the impact of children um, on this topic. Not only that, but the connections between porn use and violence. Uh, there's obviously those sorts of connections too that you need to be aware of. And and I, is there is there a sense in which you become uh, a little blasé about uh, the images that you might look at when you're looking at pornography that... Uh, mm. the, the, because people used to talk about a non-violent erotica uh, mm. opposed to the idea of there is sexual violence happening in that video. I wonder whether mm. there's a blurred line in all of that. But what, what are your thoughts on the connections between porn use and violence? Yeah, well, the first one thing I'd say is, is the, the connection between porn use and violence is... Um, is definite, it's definitive. And many secular researchers have come out and, and reinforced this in the last two decades. It's the one area that is well-researched and super conclusive. Porn use has a direct correlation and causation on people's behaviours when it comes to violence. Um, 
Let me firstly say, though, or secondly say, um, this is not affecting everyone in the same way. So sometimes you say this and people are like, oh, well, I'm a porn user and I'm not violent, or are you trying to say that my dad's a violent man? No, every person is affected differently, uh, and uh, each and every human brain is is uh, lesser or more vulnerable to the, the um, impacts of porn. So it's not necessarily saying that a person will become violent because they're a porn user, but collectively it has been measured time and time again that this affects people's perceptions and their behaviours with violence. Um, the other thing I'd say, Neil, is, is you know porn has changed a lot from a lot of people's perceptions and so that the porn we see online is just so much more violent and aggressive and full-on than the early days of pornography in print media and in, in DVDs and videos and what have you. So um, one bit of research found that 88% of the most popular porn videos had violence against women in them. So it's, it's a, an obvious and a, um, just a, an everywhere connection. You can't watch pornography without being exposed to some level of violence. Paul, I know you like to talk about uh, some of the deeper things around what is shaping young people and indeed all people when they're viewing pornography. Uh, this idea of an observational learning, the fact that children are learning from someone who is their role model. And uh, let's bring parents into the equation here because parents obviously want to be the role model for their children. But when their children are exposed to pornography, there's another observational learning that's happening. And uh, and sexual relationships are very reliant on, on the sort of values we want to pass on to our kids. What are your thoughts for this observational learning? How does that work? Yeah, look, again, it's, it's, a, it's a known thing across um, all areas of learning. Um, it's, it's why we watch things to learn them. <laughs> you know, if, if I want to fix my car tyre, I might watch something on YouTube and, and sort of copy that behaviour. One of the dangerous things is, though, when there's sexual arousal timed with that, is that it actually increases a person's um, ability to learn or maybe vulnerability to learn. Uh, in other words, the brain becomes saturated with lots of feelings, uh, lots of neurochemicals and neuromodulators. Uh, there's, there's a side of things like serotonin and endorphins and dopamine and, and oxytocin if there's a sexual release. And, and these chemicals not only do something to um, bond the person or to change their feelings of euphoria and pleasantness and, and what have you, but they also make the brain very vulnerable to learning. And so neuroplasticity occurs at a greater rate. There's... there's um, uh, neurological pruning and there's neurological strengthening that goes on in the neurological synapses. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of the, the way it works in, in the human body and the human brain. There's no doubt that there are bad effects and uh, oftentimes when I've had conversations over the years with regards to pornography, mm -hmm. there's this other idea of a dehumanising that happens when I'm let's just talk you know we're two men talking here let's talk men the sort of dehumanization of women yep. because yep. there's no intimacy there's no knowing of that particular individual as a person what are your thoughts here for you know taking this a little deeper and I did say you know we could get into some controversial <laughs> issues here so there's a yeah. dehumanization that happens isn't there yeah, look, totally. I think, um, and, and another word would be objectification, but dehumanisation is, is a is a better word because we're created as, as people in the image and likeness of God and 
If you can hear my kids screaming in the background, I apologise. Working from home today, like lots of people. And yeah, so this this dehumanisation, I think it really stems from the way pornography is framed. Um, pornography is framed in a way where the person becomes an object of use. And the only appropriate way to deal with a person creating God's image is to love them. And so we're training ourselves to see a person where the right response, and we talk about this in schools, the right response is, is love and care and, and, and an extreme dignity, approaching that person with extreme dignity, but it's framing the person as just another object. And there's been, again, there's been uh, functional MRI scans done on people whilst looking at pornography and it backs this up. Their brain actually fires in a way that treats the person like they're an object. In other words, their brain will, will create a hotspot where their brain would normally do that if they're using a power tool or something like that, as opposed to, um, as opposed to uh, how they would interact with a human being. And, and even when they've um, done research and asked the people um, post-pornography viewing questions, there's an increased prevalence of using words of use to describe the women as opposed to the control group that didn't view the pornography. So um, more using the same words like them or she or it versus uh, a more humanising, um, personifying, you know, personal uh, uh, descriptive word. Okay, so we've got objectification, we've got dehumanisation, and let me just come back to the question I'm asking listeners to respond to today, and I'll give you the update. The question I'm asking is, who is responsible for our protection against the harms of pornography? And the two options, uh, listeners and those who are on Facebook, are uh, going to is government or parents. I'll tell you where the the statistics are on uh, those who've responded to that poll. Government, 13%. Parents, 87%. So it seems to be moving more towards the idea that parents are absolutely ones who are responsible here. But let's not let government off the hook because a lot of listeners are commenting and saying that they believe parents and governments should be working together. Now, that takes, uh, takes us to a new level as well. Just a minute or so out from news, but what are your thoughts just quickly on that poll question? Um, yes, look, I think it's a good question. And look, I'd probably agree with the responses. I think it's not an either or, but I think the primacy of education in this space needs to be the parents. But let's not forget that, that not all kids have the have the, you know, the so-called traditional home. And I think there is a responsibility for governments. And uh, the good news is that our government is currently in the process of really reviewing this topic. And so I think um, we hopefully can keep campaigning for a better future for the widespread community here on this and the government can step in and, and create some safeguards to protect kids. And Paul, let me come to what we mentioned just before the news. The idea that mm-hmm. there are some government initiatives that are going on right now where there's deliberation around ways to help control the uh, the porn-demic of pornography. Uh, enlarge a little bit on what your understanding is about those government initiatives. Yeah, well, look, the uh, federal government uh, had an inquiry into age verification for online wagering and online pornography, and uh, they had a, another report protecting the age of innocence that came out in February this year. And there were a lot of conclusions in those documents that were really, really positive for the future of this debate and the future of Australia. Um, where it's been left off at is that the committee recommended that um, some work be completed and presented to the government within 12 months on a framework for um, rolling out age verification um, throughout Australia. So this would be a really huge step, possibly the biggest public step to protect young people from pornography exposure. 
And it might not be a perfect solution, but it is a step in the right direction. Is that the way you'd describe that sort of initiative? Yeah, look, look, a massive step in the right direction. I think a lot of people are sceptical and they say, oh, kids will find their way around. And you know what? That is possible. But the research out of the UK showed that um, only 15% of children uh, expressed that they would try to do that when they put something in the UK and, and certainly less than that would actually do it. So we're talking about the vast majority of kids who are exposed to porn or who use porn would never try to have uh, find a workaround or be able to do that. And so... Um, you know, we're really lucky to be in a country. We have a great um, e-safety commissioner who's working in the right direction. We need to support them. We need to pray for them, and we need to keep campaigning for this particular decision because it'll be it'll be life-saving. This will be a life-saving decision and a life-saving um, uh, implementation if it can happen here in Australia. Okay, let me reflect on some of the responses that have come through on our Facebook page today. I've got a poll that's operating there asking the question: Who is responsible for our <laughs> protection against the harms of pornography, government or parents. And uh, the numbers sit as uh, they stand at government, 13%, parents, 87%. So by far, the biggest majority of listeners today are saying it's parents' responsibility. Robert says... Parents should be fully responsible. Most parents will try to make it the government's responsibility like they do with everything else. There is a temptation here to think that it is all the government's responsibility. A quick thought on, on what Robert is saying here from you, uh, Paul. Yeah, totally. And look, we run Parents' Nights. I think we ran one yesterday or the day before, a couple this week. And, and one of the big things is we encourage parents to step up to the plate and, and just say, hey, you are a parent or a caregiver. It might be a grandparent or a foster parent, um, but you, you are in this role. It's not a question of um, should you, if you are, are you capable, but you are capable and way more equipped. Parents are way more equipped than their parents were on these sorts of topics. So we try to encourage parents to take that, um, take that stand and take the initiative and to do their best. And, and we give them the Porn Free Movement, in fact, is releasing videos to give them practical tips and tools in how to have those conversations. Um, but I don't think it is just parents and, and some kids are, are in really vulnerable positions and the porn-free movement is, is not just for traditional families or Christian audiences, it's for the wider community because we think we need to uh, empower, encourage, enable and challenge uh, what is happening in the wider community. Luke says, parents are a children's first teachers. The government has a role and obligation to protect the family. We do have high expectations of the government here, and uh, even some of those comments might suggest that the government has all the responsibility. Let's uh, relinquish our responsibility as parents. But, uh, but of course, uh, as Luke is saying, parents are a child's first teacher. It really starts the obligation, uh, the responsibility really rests, first of all, with parents. Yeah, totally. And, and to anyone who's listening, who, who is a carer or, or a parent, uh, I just want to encourage you, um, please jump on the Porn Free Movement website, check out the videos and start to be proactive in this space because many parents and maybe even more so in Christian parents are naive to what's going on and, and would be shocked to find out the facts. And, and we need to start the conversation with children before they have access to the internet. And that shocks parents, but there's some really simple ways and some great tools. Again, we've got books listed on our pornfreemovement.com website. Um, but I will just reiterate, let's keep encouraging governments because uh, that's where the real change can be made. And it's difficult for them. Uh, it's a bureaucratic system that's not easy to make change. But can I just throw in a quote from the, the uh, e-safety commissioner, Miss Julie Iman-Grant, and in speaking to the committee on age verification, she said this, 
um, that there's deep and legitimate concerns about how ready access to online pornography might impact the social sexualization of an entire generation. And so I think she gets it and I think people get it and we all need to be part of um, the campaign to put pressure on our government to save future generations through um, age verification. Okay, a whole generation at risk if the uh, idea of a movement doesn't take a hold and there's not some action. We're taking calls too on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Jim in Margate in Queensland. Hi, Jim. Welcome. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, uh, very good topic to be uh, speaking about this morning. Uh Parents do have their first responsibility to, to do this, uh, to look after the situation. But sadly, in our generation, it's being taken away. Uh, very, you know, it's just been taking away their responsibility because if you have a look at some of the programs that have been on in the schools, uh, safe schools, uh, safe schools mm-hmm. program, and now it's under different concepts now, and it's just infiltrating the mind of these kids with some sexual things that they shouldn't even be listening to. And, um, you know, so I think there's a responsibility of governments to step in and stop this sort of stuff as well. Uh, Jim, great insight there. Your thoughts for Jim, Paul? Yeah, look, I agree with Jim. And and I think, uh, again, you know, when we work in schools, it's always with an emphasis that parents are the primary educators and have a right and a responsibility when it comes to sexual matters. And we're there to supplement them, to work with them. Sadly, though, there's a massive hole in many people's lives. And so I, I don't want to be um, naive in thinking that parents, uh, even in, in you know, great Christian schools, are doing a good job. And so I think we, we do need both, but we just need to constantly direct um, parents to step up and, and direct kids to parents because they're the ones that know them, they're the ones that understand them, and they're the ones that traditionally love them the most, you know, the caregivers. So um, I, think, I think you're right, Jim, um, but I do think we need to also give some support to parents and kids um, from those that are really knowledgeable on this topic. And Jim, while we've got you on the line here, isn't it interesting that uh, when the government is endeavouring to take control, as you say, over safe schools and there are other uh, initiatives, uh, respectful relationships, uh, all sorts of mm. things that Christians have uh, some concern with, that, that somehow or other yep. when the government does try to take some control over these issues, uh, they're taking a different perspective than what we might take as Christians. Uh, Jim, any thoughts yeah. from you? Just uh, yeah. You called in and raised that. Yeah, Neil. One of the things that I thought would be a, an initiative to do, <clears throat> like they did with that health situation, whereby you had to opt in for your medical records to go through. Why can't we, in, <clears throat> in our society, have an opting in to have pornographic material? So in other words, the government says we're banning all, all uh, pornography, which will be an outcry, but if you want it, you can have it, but you have to opt in. And then that way it's going to make it so much more difficult. And, um, and because, look, we have marches all around the place, violence against women. Do you know why? It's, you can say all you like, but unless you treat this, this topic which, with, with such a, a first degree of, of, you know, whatever you can do about it, it's going to continue unless something else is done about this pornography. It's, Jim, it's, it's good thoughts in that. Community. Let me ask you, Paul, uh, when we talk about mm. the idea of opt-in and age verification, yep. are they one and the same or would they work something similar? Uh, they're two different things and I think they're both great ideas. I think age verification is more likely to 
to um, get across the line, and that's certainly how the government is moving. And there's already um, things set up in place, such as for gambling websites and what have you, so that the technology exists there. I think opt-in can be done. It was done in the UK for a period, and it's certainly the the gold standard. And and you're right, I think that way no one can argue that you're trying to stop people using pornography because they can opt-in. You're just trying to protect people from unwanted exposure. So I think that's the gold standard, but it's still a fair way off in our country and in most um, jurisdictions around the world. And and can I also just comment on Jim's comment about the uh, outside providers like Safe Schools? And look, I totally agree. Um, I, I think we do need some education in schools, but at the same time, government-mandated stuff that often has an agenda that is different to um, the the school of choice is not necessarily the way to go. In fact, I would say it's not the way to go. I think parents choose to send their kids to certain schools, and particularly Christian schools or Catholic education and what have you, and um, that's part of their decision-making in how they support their kids, and, and they have their rights and shouldn't be subjected to mandatory education on topics that are against their particular moral standard um, or religious belief. All sorts of issues around parental rights being diminished. Thank you so much, Jim, for your comment today. Let's take another call. Ruth is in Queensland. Hi, Ruth. Welcome along. Um, Yes. um, Hello. Yes. um, That's not my real name, but I just um, just don't, you know, I just don't want everyone. I just using that name but the thing is is it's interesting that the subjects just come up because I've just heard on the radio and I've actually sort of been trying to counsel people in with and I'm not a counsellor but I've seriously thought of I should be doing a counselling course because it's amazing how many young men or youngish type men are addicted to this internet pornography and I know people that are trying desperately to stop it and they, they're fasting, they're praying. These are Christian people that I know and young Christian people and um, I think a lot of Christian men also have problems with this and unfortunately it's a secret problem and as you say it's trying to get it out in public getting in, mm-hmm. in the light and it's, it's sort of something that's not always discussed in churches either and mm-hmm. I think it's a seriously big problem and it's becoming so normalised and, you know, everyone's got phones. So, like, Ruth, you're making a, some or, great points in there. One of those, which is so, so outstanding, is that uh, you don't hear a lot and I'm being general, and um, and I can't tell you details and statistics, but churches are not always uh, upfront uh, with regular insight into pornography, uh, and uh, even you know one church can't do everything and keep this whole conversation afloat. Uh, it's a good a good uh, platform on radio like we are today to be able to talk about this and uh, reaches a wide audience too. But your thoughts here for Ruth Paul. Mm, yeah, first of all, I just want to I want to thank you, Ruth, and thank you for being brave. And that's what we need on this topic: uh, just brave, courageous men and women. And, and praise God for you. Um, we need to have the conversation, and we need to have it at all different levels. And churches are one of those places that we need to have it. It's not happening enough. It's a huge problem in churches. That the research around this that that we we can get our hands on is that it's almost as big a problem. It's very similar to the secular wider society. So. You're not going to have a a row of seats or a church pew on a Sunday that doesn't have multiple regular porn users in it. Okay, this is everywhere, even amongst pastors and leaders within churches. Um, The data you can get your hands on would suggest that the majority of them have a problem here. So 
we know it exists. I think one of the reasons churches don't talk about it is because it's difficult or maybe they have their own challenges in that area. Um, but it needs to be talked about. It needs to be talked about in, in messages, homilies and sermons all around the country. And we can protect our children from those messages as required. We can warn parents. We need to do it in small groups and we need to provide sexual discipleship. Um, just yesterday I sat down with two young adult men across a picnic table in a park and we talked about this topic and I set those men up into an accountability relationship with each other and gave them the tools so they can journey on this together. We need brotherhood, we need sisterhood, we need fraternity and we need to pull our heads out of the sand and start the conversation and hopefully the Born Free Movement can help with that. Ruth, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Just before we take another call, Paul, uh, the idea that, and some people might be even shocked to think that uh, within church there's going to be something similar to the broader society and the use of pornography. But I'm just wondering about your thoughts here on whether that ought to disqualify anyone from being involved in a movement. If they themselves have had their own struggle with pornography, uh, that doesn't disqualify any individual from putting their hand up and saying there are harms here that need to be curtailed. What are your thoughts for people who, well, you know, they might be one of those sort of that does sit on the pews, so they've got the difficulty yep. and then feeling like they yep. are guilty and uh, shamed yeah. and, and can't stand up and, and be part of a movement? Yeah, yeah, totally. Look, shame is a whole other topic we probably won't have time for. But no, I just want to say, look, we're encouraging people on Facebook to like our page and to put up a frame on their profile picture if they're brave enough. Now, this doesn't mean that you are porn free, like you're, you're 10 years clear of porn, but it means that you identify that this is a problem and that you're against pornography, the notion of it. But many really good faithful Christian people have this as a regular struggle or a recurring struggle or a past struggle in their lives. It's one of the reasons why it's so good to have um, intimate conversations with people, usually of the same sex, about this particular topic, because usually they can identify with it. Once we start talking around the campfire, it comes out that, hey, that's been my problem as well, or hey, that's where I go where I'm in a dark place. We need to have those conversations and bring it out into the light desperately. Um, don't feel disqualified if you're a porn user. I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to, I want to pray for you, and I want to just um, heap blessings and encouragement on you for your journey because it's an important topic, and uh, we want you to know that, that you are loved fully and that there is a way out for you. And uh, there are people in your community right now who are ready and willing to journey with you, and they just need a brother on the journey as well, so or a sister. So, um, yeah, can that be my encouragement for all the listeners? Let's take another call. Mary is on the line from South Australia. Hi, Mary. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I applaud you for having this on your show today because I think it's an extremely important topic. Um, our men, our men need prayer because I think our men uh, have lost their way. Um, in knowing how to be men, how to raise young men, how to also raise young women. Um, I know of women today that uh, just recently, um, well, I've actually suffered a marriage breakdown through pornography, uh, as partly as uh, pornography, um, and I've, uh, I have a lot of uh, siblings that struggle with pornography that has affected the way they view women. I have um, recently spoken with a young woman um, who, to my horror, um, explained to me that uh, she'd been started seeing somebody and um, he invited her over at some stage when she couldn't have sex 
and she was absolutely astonished that he invited her over without having to have sex. <laughs> wow. It's just so prevalent. And, you know, I mean, this is such a scourge on our society. We, we talk about, like, yes, but the children, uh, we have children, we do have, we have to take responsibility as parents. But overall, as a society, our government, we've had a germ just come into our, um, into our world, COVID, that without, without any disrespect to anybody, at the end of the day, COVID can bring death to somebody, and that absolutely stopped our world in the blink of an eye. It absolutely yep. stopped our world. Yep. Yet we cannot do things. Um, you know, this is this is something that's killing our society. Mary, you're making some good points there, and there does need to be a will to be able to address the issue. And I suspect that's uh, where you're talking. And Mary, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, that your marriage breakdown partly uh, caused by uh, pornography as well. Uh, Paul, what are your thoughts for Mary? Yeah, firstly, again, thank you for being brave and courageous and, and speaking up, Mary, and, and we need more people um, sharing personally about this topic. And, and uh, you know, I read the stats about how marriages and attraction and, and uh, divorce is impacted by porn, but it's when you meet people like Mary and they share their own story of how it created a separation in the desire and in the intimacy and in the love in their relationship. Um, it's when you hear those stories that it really ran time. So thank you, Mary. And, and yet, you know, as we know um, from James, you know, this, this can be conceived, this desire, and it can lead to being full grown and lead to death. And um, that's exactly what pornography can do. And again, uh, I want to be really careful not to, to try to heap shame on people there because many listeners will be struggling with this at the moment. Again, I want to encourage you that you are not alone. And this is quite often a neurophysiological problem. Uh, it's not necessarily a moral decision-making problem. Once it gets in your system, like a virus and other things, it can be really destructive and hard to get rid of. Um, and so we need to work for the awareness, a bit like COVID. And that's one of the reasons why we started this during this time is people understand what a pandemic is now and they understand the mechanism of it and they understand how we can also combat it. And, and part of that is just the widespread education so people are doing the things to protect themselves from getting it. Um, and so, you know, with porn, the porn pandemic, it's the same thing. We need to get the education out, not only on the way pornography works and infiltrates lives and how insidious it is, but also on the pathways to freedom. And again, on our website, we've got a list of lots of books for parents, for men, for women. We've got websites, we've got programs, and uh, I'm sure people will be able to find a resource there that's helpful for them and their, uh, their circle of influence. Okay, Mary, thank you so much for your call, and I will have to put a line under calls. We have run out of time in our conversation today. Uh, but just to mention that we've had a Facebook question that's been running over this past hour. Who is responsible for our protection against the harms of pornography? Is it the government or is it parents? We did mention a little earlier a number of those responses there on Facebook have said, hey, it's a joint effort here, parents and governments working together. And uh, we heard of some good initiatives that are coming so far as government initiatives and, uh, and uh, to help to control pornography age verification uh, as is being discussed with gambling and also pornography the e-safety commissioner uh, moving in a good direction there let me point people to the website for this conversation that we're talking about today a brand new movement 
porn-free movement. And there is a website that you can go to uh, to equip yourself to understand the issues. And uh, whether you are someone who is free from pornography or you've struggled with it or you come under that sort of idea of being an addict, and that's another whole conversation for another day. But let's point people to pornfreemovement.com. pornfreemovement.com. Dot com. Now, Paul, just as on the on the tail of our conversation here, you would like to see people become advocates for this porn-free movement. Is there a way they can sign up, or how do you connect? Uh, what's the, is yeah. there a connecting point if they go onto the website? Yeah, totally. Um, so there's a few things people can do, and we've got some campaigns planned for later in the year that we're going to release as well. But the the most obvious way to be connected is on Facebook, and a number of the listeners are already on that today. Um, just go to Porn Free Movement on Facebook and like the page. Um, another way that you can have greater amplification of this message is to use the frame that we've made available on your profile picture. It will just put a little frame down the bottom. Again, we saw it during COVID-19, stay at home and things like that. Um, there's a little Porn Free frame there. And we want to encourage people once they've done that to also consider posting things that we release. There's from We release things from great resources outside of us as well as little videos and little comments and, and graphics that we release ourselves. Jump on Twitter, Instagram as well to like us on there. Um, but there's some of the key ways. Is it's, You don't need to sign your life away or anything like that, but a like of the page will keep you connected. And jump on that website, as you said. We've, we've worked really hard to put some really simple resources, some really complex, um, some really um, detailed resources as well, and also lots of references and connections um, where people can find everything they're looking for. And the last one, I assume many of your listeners are prayers, is uh, please pray for the movement and pray for the topic. Um, we'd really love your spiritual support. And, and perhaps even if you'd like to be a more formal connection, uh, connected prayer for us, you might like to drop us a line, a message or an email, and uh, we might be able to connect you in a more formal way to pray for the movement. So... Um, and a good introduction today too to real talk and uh, as Paul says uh, the biggest sex educator in Australia so uh, the ideal people to be leading a movement like this and uh, let's just point people one more time pornfreemovement.com uh, Paul Ninnis the co-founder and managing director of Real Talk Australia Paul thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020 yeah, look, thank you, Neil. Do I have time for one last comment? Uh, yeah, one very quick one. Very quick comment is <laughs> in two weeks, we've reached over a quarter of a million people via Facebook. So it's super powerful. Get on and like it and uh, you'll be able to also help reach some people as well. So thank okay, you. fabulous. Paul Ninnis from Real Talk Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.